Are you ready, Boot? Sharam, welcome back to the Charlie Boot Show. Start walking. We're not walking anywhere, folks. It's episode 22, and we are sprinting into it. Sports fans all around the country have been pumped since the announcement of the XFL's return has come. That's right, the famed XFL that Vince McMahon gave birth to in the early 2000s is coming back in 2020, and it is going to be led by Oliver Luck. It's former West Virginia quarterback Oliver Luck. Former Houston Oiler quarterback Oliver Luck. GM of the Houston Dynamo, two-time champion down there in Houston, Oliver Luck. And the former director of intercollegiate athletics for the NCAA. Not to mention NFL quarterback Andrew Luck's father. Also known as the right man for the job. When that was announced, I think people's faith in the XFL went through the roof and the excitement was really born. So I'm very excited to today be bringing XFL President and CEO Oliver Luck onto the show and to hear his vision and direction for the new XFL coming in 2020. I'm your host, Charlie Boots, and you are listening to The Charlie Boots Show. For past episodes, just head on over to Apple Podcasts or charliebootshow.com. Now let's get into this week's episode featuring Oliver Luck right now. And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Oliver, good morning, and how are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Good morning to y'all. So now you're, you're sitting here with one of the most exciting jobs in America to reimagine America's favorite game. You know, it was one of the things that, quite honestly, really attracted me to, you know, the, the XFL and, and my position at the XFL. So when I, when I was talking to Vince McMahon, you know, who's a real visionary when it, when it comes to, to, you know, things like this, right? Vince said, I want you, Oliver, with, you know, your, your team to reimagine the game. And I kind of said, well, what, 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 what does that mean, Vince? Explain that to me. And he said basically that, you know, he wants a game that is a fast-paced game that, you know, you got the same sort of number of plays that, that teams are running, uh, but there's more rhythm to the game. There's more flow to the game. There's fewer stoppages in the game. There's more meaningful plays and less meaningless plays, right? And, uh, you know, that was kind of neat, you know, and, and basically what it is 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 addressing all those issues that football fans, you know, like me, you, that we complain about, Right. You know, we complain about games that take, you know, almost four hours. We complain about a lot of the stoppages in the game. We complain about, you know, again, a, a four-hour game that only has actually, you know, 12 or 13 minutes of action, you know, and a lot of standing around. And, uh, you know, so that's been that's been incredibly uh, fun and, and challenging. We've, we've had a number of, we call them reimagination sessions, you know, where we have brought a bunch of uh, coaches in and, other folks, tech folks, you know, because we also want to make sure we're using technology intelligently to help speed the game up or, you know, move the game along. And that's been, that's been a lot of fun, right? That's been, a, 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 you know, just, just a lot of fun. And when you actually look at how much dead time and how many stoppages there are in a game between, you know, TV commercial timeouts, between coaches' timeouts, between reviews, right, between quarter breaks and all that, you know, you realize that uh, the game – doesn't really flow like it should. And that's not just from a fan's perspective, 
But, you know, if you talk to players, if you talk to, you know, coaches, you know, if I talk to my son, you know, they'll tell right. me that players don't like all those stoppages. They want to get in a rhythm, right? Any athlete, basketball player, football player, you know, a tennis player, you want to get in a rhythm. And, uh, cause you play better when you're in that rhythm. And, and that's, that's one of the things I think we've, we've lost, you know, a little bit, uh, certainly with, you know, professional football as well, I think, as, you know, major college football. Something that's so exciting about you being the man that's going to lead the charge. Uh, you know, I come from a background with the Raiders organization, and Al Davis was an executive and a coach. And you bring the player, the executive, the NCAA athletic director. And not only were you a quarterback in the NFL, your son, Andrew Luck, also stellar quarterback. So, I mean, your perspective of the game over the generations is incredible. Well, I, I'll also say I'm also a fan. <laughs> You know, yeah, right. I'm like I'm like you. I, I watch a lot of football Saturdays, Sundays, you name it. And and been doing that. You know, I'm 58 years old. I've been doing that since I was, you know, probably in middle school or grade school. So, you know, I I, I consider myself a fan as well. And I I try, you know, as often, you know, to to look at look at an issue not just with you know uh, an executive's eyes or a former player's eyes, but also is through the eyes of a fan because you know that. That fan's very important to the game, right? Absolutely. Now, and does it excite you when you look at all the talent? You look at all the talent we have in this country for the game of football, from the high school levels to the college levels. Does this excite you, the, the rebirth of the XFL, to see all the opportunities that, that these guys who may have not gotten to the league are going to get a chance to prove what they can do? Absolutely. I, you know, I don't know if most people appreciate how good you have to be to make it in the National Football League. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's you know the rosters are relatively small. Certainly, when you compare them to you know the talent that's coming out of you know out of college every year, uh, it's it's very difficult. There are a whole bunch of guys who might just be a little bit too slow or a little bit too small. You know, um, you know, don't have the you know the sort of the attributes that you you need to get at the combine. You know, I mean, we'll see September one is the big cut down, right? And there'll be I don't know, yeah. close to six hundred players. That will be cut loose. Now, some of those guys will get picked back up, you know, back up. But it, it's a very competitive league, and you have to be awful good. So I think there are, you know, a lot of players that are very skilled. They're fun to watch. They're good, fundamentally proper football players who, you know, we can build a, a, a league around. You know, people all, often ask me, you know, tell me like, the kind of player you could have in this league. And, and as an old West Virginia quarterback. I think about a guy who I think would have been perfect for the XFL, Pat White. Wow. Played, played quarterback at West Virginia, right? Uh, you know, arguably our, our finest quarterback, you know, in the history of the program. And we've had a couple of decent ones come through, including guys like Jeff Hostetler and, you know, Mark Bulger and others. But, um, you know, Pat was a second round draft choice by the Dolphins. And within a year and a half, he was out of the league. Why? He just wasn't accurate enough. <laughs> You know, uh, but a tremendous college player. So a guy like Pat White, I think, would be perfect. You know, for the XFL. In fact, we had we had Doug Flutie. You know, Doug Doug's had an incredible career. You know, at Boston College, and then of course in the USFL and the NFL, right? CFL. I mean, Doug's played I think in almost any every any and every league. But you know, I, I was, was talking to Doug, and you know, he was with us for a couple of days, and I said, you know, Doug, you you would have been a perfect guy for the XFL. You know, he was always a little bit too small for the NFL. You're not one of those big, you know, six foot five statuesque quarterbacks that the NFL prefers. Uh, but uh, you know, Doug would have been perfect for the XFL. So there there are plenty of guys out there. I 
you know, I, I watch a lot of college football. I you know, was an athletic director, as you mentioned, served on the on CFP's, you know, football selection committee that first year. And I really believe that college football is producing the uh, best group of talent that it's ever produced. And it's not just, you know, the Power Five schools. It's not even just the, you know, FBS, Division One schools. It's going all the way right. down to the Division Two. You've got better nutrition. You've got better strength coaches. You've got better coaching. You've got better everything, right? And I think the game, you know, at, at all levels in, in, in college football has gotten a lot better. And as a result, there are guys who, you know, aren't going to make the NFL but who are still very good football Football players who, who uh, we're excited about giving them an opportunity to to build a career. Absolutely. And what about all those sleepers, folks? Think of all those guys that were walk-ons that became studs in the NFL, or guys that went in the late rounds of the draft. I mean, you, you really think about it in relation to all the talent in the country. There aren't even that many draft picks each year. So there's there's so much talent just every year, not not getting to uh, reach its full potential. And that, that's one of the most exciting factors about the XFL coming back. Well, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Vince McMahon, our owner, is, uh, you know, he's a classic American entrepreneur, right? He, he built, you know, WWE into this incredibly, you know, successful publicly traded company. And, uh, you know, he's doing that with, with uh, Alpha, which is the parent company uh, of the XFL. And, you know, I, 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 I love this country. I, I love our, our, you know, business in this country and, and, you know, creating all these opportunities for players, you know, for coaches, for administrators, for athletic trainers, you know, all the staff support people. That's that's America right there. That yeah. in and of itself is, is sort of, a, you know, a great narrative. Uh, but you're right. There there are lots of, you know, talented players, and, and I'm excited about building, you know, a league around, you know that that type of a player because I think it's it, it's going to be really fun to watch those young men. So so how did this come to you? Like the day that the XFL came to you, uh, what were you doing? And then what was your initial reaction when the opportunity presented itself? So I you know was working at the NCAA. I was uh, one of two executive vice presidents you know at the organization. I ran. I'm a lawyer by training. Ran all of our regulatory stuff, which is actually you know for lawyers. Uh, it's sort of an interesting thing, right? Uh, lawyers like you know the regulatory space. It's one of the right. one of the things we you know not many others like it, but lawyers do. And I think we we recognize how important that is because it's sort of the underpinning of of college athletics. I was you know thoroughly enjoying my job at the NCAA. I love college athletics and what it does for young men and young women. Uh, so when when one of Vince's guys reached out to me, you know we uh, we sat down and, and talked a little bit, and he asked me if I'd be willing to take. A meeting with Vince, and I said, "Absolutely, you know, I'd love to take a meeting." I, you know, have been have been involved in, in you know previous leagues, and you know, I'm always interested in folks that uh, that are interested in, in, in spring football. You know, uh, right. so we we sat and we talked, and I was a little bit skeptical, to be honest with you, uh, in, in in large part because of the first iteration of the XFL back in 2001. You know, it was a one-and-done league, right? right. Uh, and, you know, and I, you know, wanted to make sure that, uh, that you know, sort of the the, the vibe around the, that league in 2001 was not going to be the vibe around the relaunched XFL. So, I, you know, I peppered Vince with a lot of questions about the lessons he learned from, you know, the 2001 experience, uh, you know, um, the, the way it was sort of portrayed, you know, that, that league – was a little bit raunchy, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. and, and there were some gimmicks, you know, and I, 
I'll be honest, I, I'm not a choir boy, but I do respect uh, football enormously and, you know, love the game and don't think it, 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 it should be demeaned, you know, with gimmicks or, or anything else, right? That's not to say you can't, you know, play around with the rules and have this better reimagined game, but, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, that a league that has gimmicks will be accepted by the American public, right? I, I just don't believe that, and I, I wouldn't do that to the game of football because it's, you know, it's a great American. It's the great American pastime. Yeah. So, really long story is. short, we we talked, uh, you know, a, a couple of uh, uh, Saturdays back in in, in April, and uh, I thought, gosh, this is a really neat opportunity. How often does, you know, a chance like this come around where you can start a league from scratch and have your fingerprints all over it, you know, you know, both good and bad, uh, and yeah. you know, be the leader of the organization? And I thought, you know, this is this is something that. Uh, you know, I just I just couldn't pass up. So I'm I'm incredibly excited. I'm so pumped that you know that Vince, uh, you know, after 17 years, right? The first iteration of XFL was 2001. That's a that's ancient history almost, right? That's almost the last century. So I'm excited that he was willing to uh, you know commit uh, you know a lot of money and a lot of passion and a lot of time to rebuilding the XFL. And it's awesome to see how you're attacking it. Like the, these imagination sh- sessions you're putting together that, folks, they consisted of uh, CFL alumni, NFL alumni, XFL, USFL, um, NCAA, and you're covering all levels. You're looking at the on-field communication between the players and the coaches, the health, the flow of the game, you know, all these different levels to the game. How cool was it for you to sit down in that first imagination session with all these guys around you? Well, it, it was it was very cool, right? So, you know, Doug Flutie is a really super thoughtful guy. Um, we had John Fox, right, you know, the longtime NFL coach, uh, Jim Caldwell. Yeah. These are all guys that, you know, they love the game, but they also, you know, are smart guys who can take sort of a step back and and you know and look at the game you know through a little bit of a different lens right so you know one of the questions you ask these guys is for example hey you know do you really need you know six timeouts during the course of a game <laughs> you know yeah. and can could we take maybe you know two of those t- timeouts and drop them and you know c- could maybe two of the remaining four timeouts be the equivalent of an NBA 30 second timeout right which is super quick, right? It's really just a break in the action to give a guy, a, you know, a, a, a breather, right? Uh, so, yeah. you know, it, it's good to sort of get coaches and, and former players like, like Doug or myself. Uh, we have a fellow named Jason Wright, who's now a partner at McKinsey, played seven years in the league, played at Northwestern. He was with us. You know, we had some folks in the tech space that were in there. Uh, so it was just a lot of fun because we had, you know, a variety of, of – it's a game that means a lot to me. and means a lot to a lot of people. It means a lot to the, you know, self-identified 40 million football fans, hardcore, yeah, passionate football fans. And, you know, it's it's the equivalent, really, of the many discussions that I've had with, you know, friends. We're just sitting around, you know, having a beer, talking football, and we, we always, you know, we ask ourselves, you know, what – if you could change anything about the game, what would you change? You know, how can you make it better? How can you improve it? Every, you know, every game needs to sort of stay modern, right, and stay, you know, stay tuned, right, with society. And, you know, so, so everything has to change, right? Life is is dynamic; it's not static, and games have to be dynamic and not static. But you also have to have, you know, a, a certain amount of respect for sort of the core values of the game, right? And I think, you know, I think we we. We are, we're trying to, you know, find that balance as we go through these reimagination sessions. And again, it's not just football, as you mentioned. You know, part of it is is tech. 
right? You know, is is giving using technology to give the fan maybe a peek at things that the fan normally doesn't see, like a you know a pregame or a halftime talk, you know, mm-hmm. or or you know give fan you know give the fan access inside the huddle. You know, people always ask me as an old quarterback, hey, what do you say in the huddle? What are you guys doing in there? Who's, who's talking? You know, what are you making dinner reservations? I mean, what, what's the conversation <laughs> like? You know, people want to know, right, that, that haven't been right. in the huddle. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we're very focused on using technology to provide access to the fan, to, to things that they maybe haven't seen before, and also to, to give that fan, you know, a little bit of a, of a voice, right, a stronger voice than perhaps the fan has today. And, you know, that's one of the coolest things that came out of the first run of the XFL, folks, is that's changed the game of football to this day, is those cameras over the field giving that perspective. That that was birthed from the XFL. There, there, were, there were a couple of, of really good things that the XFL did, despite all the challenges in 2001. You know things like the you know now the sky cam i think I think it was called the spider cam back in the day you know that's right that's now a you know that's de rigueur you know in terms of uh, an n f l or or a college broadcast so you know i think I think we'll have a number of those things where people will say oh wow that's that's a pretty cool idea and you know before we know it it'll be sort of commonplace yeah and you spent five years in Houston uh with the Oilers. And now you sit back, and I mean, I'm sure you talk to your son all the time. He's a current-day NFL quarterback. What has been um, your least favorite thing you've seen change in the NFL from your time on the field there to now your son's time on the field? My last season was 1986. I, I primarily was a backup playing behind Warren Moon. And, you know, if, if you go back, you know, to that era, you know, so much has changed, right? The, the game, I believe, today is is so much better, right? Players are bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. You know, the coaching is remarkable. The, you know, the the athletic training, the you know, performance services that exist, you know, today are incomparable to what you know what was being done back in you know 1986. Nutrition, you know, sort of all those things that that really contribute to a high quality game. Uh, you know, very few of those were around back then. Uh, it was a, you know, it really was a, a, a different era. You know, I, when I was a rookie, I was drafted in 1982 out of out of West Virginia, and I actually, you know, really appreciate now in hindsight, you know, having had the ability to play for a couple of years with guys who who lived football, professional football in the 60s, guys like Elvin Bethay and Dave wow. Casper and Kenny Stabler, hey. right? You know, Dan Pastorini. I mean, these were guys who played, you know, literally in the the 60s and in the 70s when the game was completely different. Elvin Bethay tells a a great story coming out of North Carolina A&T, you know, an HBCU, historically black college university. Uh, And, you know, Bud Adams, the the Oilers owner who's since passed away, but Bud Adams, you know, uh, wasn't rolling in cash back then. It was the old AFL, and Bud gave Elvin Bethay a signing bonus, which was two head of cattle. (laughs) You know, because Elvin's parents ran a, you know, had a a farm uh, in in North Carolina. But, you know, those stories I I thought were, were, were unbelievable, you know. Yeah. So you look at you look at the game today, and it's it's just it's a much better game. It's it, it's being played so well. The talent level, I, I think, is off the charts. I mean, as you can tell, I'm a huge NFL fan. Right. And uh, you know, we 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 want to be the XFL wants to be a complement, you know, to the National Football League. You know, we have zero intention of competing with the NFL because you know they're so. I mean, they're they're the juggernaut. They're not only the most successful league in the U.S. I would argue. 
they're the you know they're the most successful league in in the world in terms of, of professional sport. And I think that with the spring season, I think that there's going to be actually a lot of uh, you know a lot of relation. I think we, there's I think there's going to be a lot of talent that's getting a chance to showcase themselves. Also, when you start looking at the cities that you want to see the uh, the teams in, and folks, if you head on over to XFL.com, you'll see right now they're they're gauging and checking out which cities the first eight teams will be located in. Uh, is there is there any uh, decision process started with deciding what markets will get teams? Sure, we're 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 reaching sort of uh, the, the the crunch stage, if you will, with our city selection. We started back in May before I, I came on board. Sent out an RFP uh, to I don't know thirty some communities, and we've we've you know narrowed that down to a, a much smaller number. We're going to launch with eight franchises. Uh, but uh, I'm, at some point in September, not sure exactly when, but at some point in September, we're targeting uh, the you know, starting to announce uh, those franchise locations. We've had a number of folks, uh, myself included, you know, visit these various markets, visit stadiums, talk to the operators of those buildings, trying to you know better understand everything: scheduling, concession pricing, you know, locker rooms, training facilities, you name it. Right? There's a whole plethora of things on our list, uh, yeah. and and ultimately. You know, I think it's important for your listeners to know, you know, if, if I had to do a 15-second elevator speech about why the XFL 2020, the answer is simply this. You know, there are 40 million passionate, diehard football fans uh, in this country, and they want more football. <laughs> they want football. They want a, a good quality game, obviously, but they want more football, and we intend to give them that, that football you know, in those months, February, March, April, May, uh, that, uh, you know, that right now are football free, right? There's a, for all of us, myself included as a football fan, there's always that sort of gap after the Super Bowl, right? Because the season's yep. over. And, and, you know, people miss it. They, they really do. I, I was the happiest camper like many people in this country, you know, last Thursday when the preseason games, you know, <laughs> Thank off. you guys. All of a sudden, yeah, I looked up, I looked up and there's football on. Of course, I was, I was watching the Colts and the Seahawks in their, you know, first preseason game. And it was preseason football. And yes, you know, the starters just play a couple of series, but, you know, I was watching the backups because those guys are pretty darn good, right? You know, the talent right. level in the, in the NFL has just gotten, you know, so incredibly good. And one of the main conversations, too, around football, and I mean, is the health aspect. With putting the, the reimagination committees together, that's one of the aspects you're looking at. And you know better than anyone. You know, one of the main storylines right now in American football is the return of Andrew Locke coming back to the Colts. You know, how do you look at... Uh, the health aspect of the modern game, and and what is the XFL looking to do to address that? Yeah, so it's a great question, and and obviously, you know, everybody who follows the game, I think, has a you know a little bit of a concern, certainly, for you know the health and safety of players, because there's things today, particularly with head trauma, things we know about you know today that we didn't know 20 years ago, or certainly we didn't know them when I was you know playing ball back in you know college ball right. in the 70s and pro football in the 80s. So when I uh, first started talking to Vince, I said to him that, that I want this league to have the highest health and safety protocols. And that is not just, you know, shoulders up, right, not just about head trauma, but about all the, you know, the physical and mental issues that, that players have to deal with. Uh, I, I said to Vince, I said, Vince, I don't think the American public will support a league that doesn't have the highest health and safety protocols, you know. Uh, I mean, years ago, we had, you know, not just two-a-days, we had three-a-day practices. <laughs> and, right. you know, obviously, you know, the, the NCAA, you know, beginning last year, 
you know, prohibited two-a-day practices. The, the NFL hasn't been doing two-a-days for a number of years now. Uh, you know, so all of those things, all of those protocols that exist, you know, in that health and safety space, we need to have, you know, the, the, the highest and the best protocols. Uh, that's important. And it's not just important, right, uh, you know, for, for fans to know that, that the players are, you know, being, being, you know, kept as safe as possible given the fact that it's a, you know, physical, you know, a physical game, obviously, and, and then very often it can be a, you know, collision game, not just a contact game, but a collision game. Right. But it's also the right thing to do for the young men, right? It's the right thing to do for, for our, our, our players because we, you know, we want them to enjoy the game, have fun at the game, make a, you know, a living from the game, create a livelihood, uh, but also, you know, to, to, to be as safe as we possibly can. So that means, you know, the best equipment we can get, the best, again, protocols in terms of health and safety. Uh, you know, I, I feel very, very strongly about that. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had we had Phil Villapiano on the show. And, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the alumni, a lot of the NFL alumni, they'll talk about the, the modern training camps. As you know, like a lot of mixed reviews, you know, a lot of the teams don't get a lot of time together. But a lot of the guys feel that with the smaller training camps and the shorter ones, the players' bodies don't have a chance to adjust to the hits and adjust to you know being ready for game time. How do you feel about that? Well, I was a quarterback, so I'm not sure that my comments would be uh, anywhere near as, as you know valuable as Phil's comments as a guy who used to deliver and have a lot of hits, and probably a couple on me as well. Um, you know, I, I, there's some truth, I think, to what Phil is saying. I would, I would say on the other side, uh, you've got guys who are staying, you know, in shape in the off season, you know, much better than, than certainly back in the, you know, the 80s or the 70s or the 90s for that right. matter, right? You know, the, the, the OTAs, you know, are, are different than sort of those mini camps that, that we used to have. I mean, I, I spent, you know, my off seasons going to law school, the University of Texas in Austin. And, you know, I stayed in, in shape, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't do anywhere near the work that, for example, my son, you know, does in the off season, right, as, as he stays in right. shape. So, you know, I, I think that's changed. You know, it's, it's, it's almost as if, you know, sort of this idea of, of, you know, spring practice in college, you know, where guys really are in great shape, you know, in, in March, April, May, you know, uh, at the college level, that's, that's, that's tilted over to, you know, to uh, to professional football, I'm not sure that guys really even get out of shape like they used to. I remember going to training camp, right? You know, at, in San Angelo, Texas. You know, and we were there for four or five weeks. I mean, it was a longer, much longer training camp. But guys would come in purposefully, you know, 20 pounds overweight, right? Because they knew <laughs> they'd, they'd lose it. You know, I mean, two days right. in the heat, right? Uh, and I don't think you see guys coming in uh, like that, you know, today. You know, uh, that's yeah. you know, they, they seem to be reporting the camp. I mean, ready to roll, right? So, um, you know, I, I would, I would, uh, I wouldn't say Phil is is not correct in his statements, but I think, you know, the shorter training camps are offset by, you know, just the, the much more thorough and robust and and comprehensive off-season training that guys go through. Hey, you're a limitless guy. You're talking about, you know, folks, NFL quarterback, goes back for his law degree. And then in 2006, 2007, first of all, one of the most beautiful stadiums I've seen in the country, you go down to Houston with the soccer team, the Houston Dynamos, two-time champs down there. I mean, what was it like to see that franchise take off and see the success of that league? 
That, that was cool. You know, I, I uh, enjoy soccer. I really got turned on to soccer from spending 10 years in Europe when I was working for the NFL, ironically, over there. You know, and I needed to, in order to best sort of position NFL Europe, you know, in, in the franchises we had in the sports marketplace, I really had to understand soccer because that's the sport that, you know, obviously is is not just number one in Europe, it's number one, two, and three. I mean, it, it's really the sport <laughs> yeah. that people care about. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've always you know, enjoyed the game since that point, which was uh, we went over there in 1990. It's one of the reasons, you know, Andrew enjoys soccer is, you know, growing up in, in Germany and in, and in England the first 10, 11 years of his life. But uh, it, it was it was cool to to bring a franchise down from San Jose. You know the San the old San Jose Earthquakes moved from San Jose to Houston. We rebranded them into the Houston Dynamo. Um, you know, one you mentioned won a couple of MLS championships, and then also perhaps more importantly, you know, we're able to uh, partner with the city of Houston and Harris County, the two big political entities, to build uh, you know a soccer venue, a BBVA Compass. Stadium, which uh, you know, twenty-two, twenty-three thousand seater, typical uh, MLS size. That's you know, right downtown, just a stone's throw from Minute Maid Park, where the Astros yeah. play. And it's been great for Houston. It's you know, it's so it, it's always good to see uh, you know a team win. But in particular, because we had recruited this uh, team down from San Jose, got the stadium built. You know, they've embedded themselves in Houston, and you know, people view the Dynamo just like they view the Astros, the Texans, and the Rockets as you know one of Houston's four professional sports teams. That, that's that's been good, and, and I've I've taken a certain amount of satisfaction from having been a part of that. Yeah, they're very passionate down there. Uh, now, I didn't I didn't realize you were so long. You were in Europe, and the NFL Europe that was around around the same era when when the XFL had first come out. And uh, that's always a conversation where NFL Europe, it provided a ton of opportunity, a strong minor league system for the NFL, and then it was then it was spreading the game overseas. Are you taking a lot of that, that international view into your scope at the XFL? Well, yeah, NFL Europe, I think, uh, was, was a, a, a very interesting 17-year experiment, quite honestly. Uh, it provided a number of opportunities for, for players on NFL rosters uh, to extend their careers and in some cases really launch their careers. You know, you had guys like Brad Johnson, you know, who ended up winning the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. Yeah. You had uh, Kurt Warner, the story that a lot of people know, Jake Delhomme, a bunch of players, you know, that, that came over and played a season or two in Europe and, you know, used that as a, you know, as a launching pad, you know, for, for great, for a great NFL career. The, uh, the league, you know, was going on at the same time as the XFL started. In fact, uh, I, I had already come back to the U.S. in 2000, uh, and I think three of the uh, NFL Europe coaches, Al Luganbill, Jim Kreiner, and Galen Hall, you know, three guys that we had over in Europe, ended up you know, being head coaches you know, in 2001 in the XFL. And a number of our you know, players uh, ended up uh, you know, playing in the XFL as well. So, you know, uh, there's not a, a significant amount of international talent you know, whether it's in Europe or, you know, Asia or, you know, Central America, Mexico. I mean, there are football teams that play, you know, but mostly at the amateur, all of it at the amateur level or at the college level. Uh, but, you know, we'll right. keep our eyes open for, for, for talent, right? The typical path for a kid, you know, who's a, a talented football player is to come over to the U.S. and go to college, right, and play college football for two years or three years or four years or whatever, or in some cases, you know, play a year or two of high school football and then, you know, play 
college football. So they they become Americanized and get exposed to technique and strategy and you know the situations that you face in football. So uh, we may we may have you know some international kids. We're not targeting that right off the bat, uh, but we very well could have a you know a player or two you know from overseas on on one of our rosters. Let's see how the Eagles uh, rugby bulldog works out in Philadelphia, and then the uh, the rugby market might open up big time for football, folks. <laughs> well, no, you get, I mean, you get, uh, you know, a lot of the punters in the NFL, and certainly the college right. game, right? Or you know, former you know rugby guys. Uh, you know, we had uh, we had guys who you know were 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 soccer players, kickers, you know, who were kicking. You know, in fact, the the leading scorer in NFL Europe history. Uh, was a guy who played soccer uh, professionally in Germany for a number of years. He, in fact, he joined us when he was in his 40s. Uh, he was the, we, we, we nicknamed him the George Blanda of Germany. He didn't know who the hell George Blanda was, of course, but you know, uh, once, he, once he began to understand a little bit about it, he appreciated the compliment by being called the George Blanda of Germany. Oh, my God. That is awesome. And man, we are, we're so excited to, to watch this thing take off in 2020. And, uh, one question I want to I want to wrap with is, being an NFL quarterback that raised an NFL quarterback, what's one piece of advice you always gave your son Andrew Luck, and what's one piece of advice you pass on to to young football players, no matter what level they're at? Well, there's probably two things that you know I I, I tried to share with Andrew or anybody, you know, because I. I did a lot of you know youth football coaching when Andrew was growing up as a kid, and you deal with obviously all the all the kids. You know, the first thing I think really is that you know um, the game is hard, uh, but you know you play better when you're having fun, right? You play better when you have a smile on your face, and and you know you're going to lose games. Obviously, everybody's lost games. You're going to play badly in, in certain games, but you know as long as you're having fun and you're enjoying it, you're going to play better. So try to keep a you know a positive attitude. And the other thing is that, you know, there, uh, I would say this, there's no substitute for preparation. This is true of virtually any enterprise or any sport. You know, there's no substitute for, for, for preparation. And, you know, that, that, that means both, you know, physical preparation as well as mental preparation. You know, you have to get your mind right. You have to, you know, be able to, you know, to, to, to use your mental faculties you know, during the course of a game, that gives you an advantage. And if you're prepared to do that, you've you've reviewed it and reviewed it and gone over it and gone over it and and really you know understand it instinctively. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have an advantage at some point in the game. You know, and uh, that's 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 important as well. You know, football. What's the what's the uh, the Casey Stengel thing? You know, uh, the sports is ninety uh, percent mental and the other half is physical or something. Like that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but there really is a major component. You know of of mental preparation that goes along with the physical preparation, but that part of mental preparation that I think you know, gives can give you an advantage in a game. And you know, as we all know, you know, games usually turn on the smallest of advantages. You know? Man, football fans uh, are very lucky that you're the man that's taking this on, Oliver. And uh, and thank you so much for for coming on and for what you're doing. Always happy to talk about the XFL and talk about football, particularly this time of year. Yeah, right. It's time, baby. We're we're ready for spring football to come back to this country. It's going to be very exciting, man. Well, very good. Enjoyed it very much. Thanks for having me. XFL CEO and Commissioner, Mr. Oliver Locke. Oliver, thank you so much. All right, you bet. Talk to you soon. 
And a big thank you to XFL CEO and President Oliver Luck for coming on the show today. Folks, if you weren't excited for the XFL, I know you are now. Spring football coming back to the USA is nothing but good. There are college ball players pumped right now. There are NFL ball players pumped right now. CFL guys, this is going to energize the game of football, speed it up, and hopefully write the new blueprint for what watching football and taking in the entertainment side of football is. In fact, the XFL wants your help. If you add the XFL on Twitter and Instagram, simply at XFL, They're always asking for your suggestions, ideas, and advice for a better viewing experience for the fans. So make sure you lock in with them on social media and be a part of the creation. Use hashtag XFL2020. Also, don't forget to follow me, TheCharlieBoots, on Instagram and Twitter, at TheCharlieBoots. And as always, for past episodes of the podcast, you'll find them on the Apple Podcast Store, Stitcher Radio, and CharlieBootsShow.com. And to all those cities that want professional football, now's the time. Get in touch with the XFL, XFL XFL.com. Right now, they are deciding what eight cities will get the first eight XFL squads. Very exciting time. Thank you guys for tuning in, and I'll see you next time on the Charlie Boot Show. Uh, We recently filmed a really cool special in Miami at the Big Three, Ice Cubes Basketball League, the Big Three tournament down here in Florida. And uh, we're featuring interviews with greats like Charles Oakley, Jermaine O'Neal, Ron Artest, Metal World Peace, Steven Jackson, and many more. You can check that out at charliebootshow.com and on the Charlie Boot Show YouTube. And I will see you back here next week, same place, same time, charliebootshow.com. Take care, do your best, and God bless. That's the Charlie Booth Show.